Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edify, discussions on servant leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast, and I'm here with Captain Thomas Birchtold, who's a captain in the United States Navy and also an orthodontist and dentist. He's currently stationed at Naval Medical Readiness Command San Diego as a member of the craniofacial team for the hospital and works as an orthodontist to supplement the surgical treatment of patients for oral surgery in the residency program. Prior to that, he was stationed at Naval Hospital Yokosuka. He was appointed as the Associate Director for Dental Services, the Dental Corps Career Development Board Manager, as well as working as a staff orthodontist. Prior to that, he's been stationed throughout the United States, primarily in California, but he began his career after growing up in Brigham City, Utah, and serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Toronto, Ontario. He graduated from Utah State University in 1998. He was commissioned as an ensign in the United States Navy through the Health Professional Scholarship Program and attended Virginia Commonwealth University. And then he graduated from there and moved on to advanced education in general dentistry in Jacksonville, Florida. And after spending a year in residency in Florida, he got his first actual Navy duty station at Port Wyneme, California, as part of Naval Mobile Construction Battalion 3 and deployed for a six-month deployment in Guam during that tour and has continued to serve throughout it was while he was stationed at the Seabees or the Naval Mobile Construction Battalion 3 that I first met who was then Lieutenant Birch told, and I was Petty Officer Pankow serving in Naval Mobile Construction Battalion 4. And he became a good mentor and friend of mine and even wrote a letter that helped me get selected as a direct commissioned officer in the United States Coast Guard, a wonderful recommendation letter that showed me he saw more potential than I saw in myself. And so I'm excited to have Captain Birchtold here. I've watched him throughout his career as our paths have crisscrossed throughout the United States. So welcome, Captain or Doctor, whichever you prefer, or Tom. Uh, glad to have you on the show today. Keith, thanks for having me. I prefer Tom. Let's keep it like real simple. That's good. I didn't want to have to say Captain Dr. Tom every time we <laughs> mentioned your name. That's just for my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Well, so glad to have you. Now, I know you probably don't even remember writing that recommendation letter for me, but as I was thinking about how I felt comfortable enough to approach you, that speaks to your character as a leader already, that I had enough faith in you that you would A, write me a letter, and B, that it would be a letter that would help me move on to that next step. And so as you have gone throughout your career, what does it say to you when people approach you about writing letters of recommendation? Since you had brought that up, I've been thinking about why I feel so strongly about writing letters and helping people on their path. And I had one of the professors in my physiology anatomy class, he became a great mentor for me as I was preparing to try to get the scholarship for the military and go to dental school. And I had asked three different professors to write me a letter because we had to have three letters of recommendation for dental school. And the other ones I could tell were very two paragraphs something that they had standard, they just put my name in, kind of signed the bottom. And his was very, very specific and very, very detailed. And I could tell that he knew me individually. And not only did he know me, but he had my best interest at heart. And then on the very last, he gave me a copy and handwritten. He had said, this will be the first one for you, but you will be writing many for others, help people along your path. And that just stuck with me that, you know, it's always about paying it forward doesn't matter what position you're in or how long you've been there. He was a tenured professor that I'm sure he had written thousands of these things for because he was pre-med, pre-dental. And he took the time to handwrite and wrote this glaringly 
what I thought was way too good of a letter for what I had done for him, but he was fantastic. And it kind of just put me on my path. That's a wonderful thought. And a couple of things there to think a little bit more deeply about the handwritten letter. What a powerful thing, especially in the technology age that we live in now, it carries even more weight that someone goes a little bit further. When I was promoted to Lieutenant Commander, my current chief of staff had left a letter on my desk. And so I didn't even hand deliver it. I came back to the office on a Monday and there was a letter on my keyboard. And it was from Captain John Reed, the current chief of staff for the 8th Coast Guard District. He left this letter and he said similar things. He said, now you have to think about how you're going to develop those around you and those beneath you. And it was a powerful congratulations, but it was also like, look forward and look at how you can be a service to other people. And I just really appreciated that. The thing I like about writing those letters too, is a lot of times it documents your relationship, right? It documents the interactions that you've had or the chances that you've had to see them excel in positions where they may thought, of, oh, I don't know if I can do this, but you, you empower them to a point where they excel and succeed and you can just document that success for them. I find writing letters of recommendation for those that I truly have worked with and helped and mentored. It's very rewarding because you get to see the growth along the way. And they're usually not convenient to write. I will say I've written a few <laughs> myself and usually they come at times when you're really busy or something's going on or there's always something else to do. And so it takes an active effort to really think about the person and make the time to do it. And so beyond what you say in the letter, I think the act of the time that you put into the letter is just a true example of servant leadership. It's also hard too, because when somebody's going for residency training or for specialty training, if they're going through the military, we have to rank them against each other. So if I'm writing three letters of recommendation, I have to say, hey, this is my number one candidate. This is my number two candidate. This is my number three candidate out of the three people. And being able to have a relationship with these people or when I sit them down and have to explain to them why they're number three, it's not a surprise, right? This isn't the first conversation that we've had about their path and what they need to do. And so I think it gives good opportunities as well to continue to try to inspire, to, to help them to be a little bit more. And it shouldn't be a surprise. It should be right. an ongoing conversation. And if it's done correctly, if you've built up to that point in your relationship as leader and follower or coworker or whatever that relationship may be, if you've built a level of trust, you can then help them recognize what they need to go from number three to number one and not just accept that they're number three. And that's where it stands forever. Right. And, you know, having those conversations all along the way is one of those things as well. It, it takes time. And sometimes it's at the most inconvenient time of the day. You're busy with what you've got going and your leadership and your clinical and whatever it is with patients. And they want to come in and talk for a half an hour about certain things. And I think sometimes that's the fallacy of, of servant leadership is we think we have to be all things to all people at all times. But I think it's about creating a culture where we can be the right thing to the right people at the right time that they need it. And so for me to say, hey, you know what? I can't talk with you right now, but I can talk, I can give you all of my attention at 3.30. Let's meet at that time and, and we'll, we'll hash this out and get it done. I think it goes back to that building that trust. They know I'm not going to just brush them off. That's a great point and such a valuable thing to have the self-awareness to realize that it's important to give the person all of yourself to the best of yourself. And too often, I think we feel that we have to go in the moment and that postponing or waiting, if you've built up the right amount of trust, 
is far more valuable than giving them 20% of yourself right at that moment and trying to rush an answer. And we've always had that interaction with, you know, certain leaders where you approach somebody and they're not paying attention and it almost builds more distrust in the relationship because you're not getting the attention that you deserve for that thing that you're at at the moment. So I think providing just a space and a time to be able to address those to help them on that path, whether it's a letter of recommendation or whether it's issues, I think it's very valuable. Yeah, I agree with that. I've been thinking about this concept that Thero brought up in his podcast episode, and I did a, a blog post on it on this virtuous cycle that's created when you first recognize you're good at something or you have a skill or you have a talent, and then you decide you want to refine that and put in a little practice or a little effort. And then that practice and effort leads to a greater development of that skill or talent, which then leads to a desire to then do more practice or to refine that talent even more. And it creates a virtuous cycle that keeps giving on the returns. And I really feel this conversation as a leader, we have this opportunity in both writing letters of recommendation and giving people feedback in the proper way not rushed and giving them our full attention, we have an opportunity to insert ourselves in and help bring people into that virtuous cycle so that it helps spin that wheel faster. And especially in the training or at certain times in our lives, we might feel that there's not a great reason to continue for building a skill or a talent or progressing ourselves. And if we stay in that lull, or as a good Navy person would say, the doldrums, right? No movement, no wind. You know, if we stay there and nobody helps us through it, you know, that virtuous cycle can stop and it can break. So I, I just love this conversation we're having. Yeah. Being a orthodontist, I don't know what a doldrum is, but thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I will admit that one of my constant aspirations as a mariner is to always remind Captain Birch told of what being a mariner is and help him along in his path, his Navy <laughs> career. So we have this ongoing relationship of jabbing each other with things like that. So I love the term doldrums for many reasons, but I, I threw it in there as a, as a definite dig at Tom. There. <laughs> so, and that's good. I think it's also good to have fun with people and to enjoy our time together. I think when we know people want to be around us, it invites us to participate more and to give more of ourselves and to open ourselves up more so that they might recognize where we're at in that virtuous cycle so they can help us along. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because when you had mentioned how we met in the CBs, as a lieutenant, my first leadership opportunity, I failed miserably because I thought I had to be a certain type of leader and I had to have a characteristic of being hard and being cutting and yelling and disciplinarian and you know all the things that you see in the movies like you have to be a certain person or certain type of way and that is so opposite from who I am I enjoy humor and I enjoy the personal interaction and I enjoy people and I enjoy talking and I enjoy and so it was so opposite of who I really am, I failed miserably. And I bred more distrust and disloyalty with my little group of people that I had. But it was really good because my next assignment down in San Diego, I was able to lead a clinic. And um, I had my captain at the time, Captain Cedar, and he brought me aside because I was telling him how I just felt like I had basically not really accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in the CB. And he just brought me aside. He says, be you. He's like, you're a leader, you're a natural leader, just be who you are and don't try to fake it. And so, yeah, it was just an eye-opening to be an authentic leader, like what our culture is. I don't have to 
try to make myself into somebody else's type of leader. I can be the leader that I know I can be and have that type of leadership that is just authentic to me. And it comes across as true. It builds trust. It builds loyalty as long as we can inspire with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked a little bit about this, how, especially in the military, you think that a leader is supposed to be a certain way. And I am going to read this quote that I was thinking about. It kind of describes where servant leadership originates from and kind of what it's a contrast to. And it says, the old leadership paradigm of the 19th and early 20th centuries suggested three particular beliefs. One, leaders were born and not made. Your lineage and or pedigree class endowed you with the look or personality of a leader, a hierarchical position. Two, good management made successful organizations. Three, one should avoid failure at all costs, a belief that promoted risk avoidance and fear. Leadership was defined in the literature as being hierarchical, patriarchal, coercive, and related to wealth and influence. The paradoxical term servant leadership is inclusive of personal service to society regardless of position. The premise of a leadership service combination was in direct opposition to the hierarchical model of leadership. In hierarchical leadership, the power of the leader was visible and obeyed by those lower in the organization, whereas in servant leadership, it was through strategies of service and stewardship that a leader was identified by the people to be first among equals, or primus inter pares. And I just love that thought about being first among equals and kind of how we approach our leadership and even recognizing that, as you said, in order to be a true leader, the first thing you need to do is be authentic to yourself. You have to realize that and harness that because people, whoever they are, one thing that people are very gifted at is spotting fake and inauthenticity. We're very good at recognizing when someone is trying to put one over on us or be someone they're not. It's just something that most people have a sixth sense about. And so when you do that, you lose credibility. And as has been mentioned on the show before, once you lose credibility, it's nearly impossible and usually very hard to get back. Yeah. And that goes along with When you talk about authenticity and building trust, right? Being genuine, I think in both good times and bad times and not trying to lie or spare somebody's necessarily their feelings when there's bad news that needs to happen. I think that can build a lot of trust as long as there is a relationship present, right? If you're giving bad news to somebody that you've worked with for a year and you have spent zero time and this is your first interaction and you have to give them bad news, you're never going to be able to regain that credibility with that person. And so that goes along with Stephen Covey. We talked about earlier, it was, you know, giving that emotional bank account and making those deposits on a daily, hourly, weekly basis with those people that you're leading to try to inspire because there's always going to be a time you have to make that withdrawal, right? At some point in time, you're going to have to ask somebody to do something they don't want to do and how you go about that. And so just building that trust and building that relationship through servant leadership is just so valuable. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if your experience has been the same as mine in the Navy, but even in the Coast Guard and in all my interactions with other military services, and I've worked with each branch of the, of the military, there's a time when someone comes to you and they say, I have an opportunity for you. 
And usually that means they're about to give you something that nobody else wants to do. It's usually pretty awful. And they use that word opportunity like it's a good thing. And what I've realized is that you go back to this emotional bank account that you're talking about, when they've invested in me, usually, even though I don't want to do it, they truly are opportunities. The thing they're giving me to do is going to make me better. It's going to help me learn. It's going to help me grow. But far too often, people who haven't invested in my emotional bank account come to me and they say, I have an opportunity for you. And I'm like, yeah, right. I don't want any part of this. Well, and I love that there's another guy that I really like his leadership style and it's Simon Sinek. And he has a lot of books that go out, but in one of his first ones that was start with why he gives the idea about the law of diffusion, right? And so with this law of diffusion, you have two and a half, it's a bell curve. And so in this bell curve, you have a two and a half percent on the high end of the curve that no matter what your leadership style is, they're just performers. They're going to do it. Right. And then you have the, the other end where there's two and a half percent that are just no matter what you do, they're laggards. They're, they're just not going to get it. But it's that middle section of the bell curve. Right. That's the chance that you have as a leader to inspire them to do more than they thought they could do, which is a huge percentage. So if we can get those early adopters, you know, those people and inspire them with what we truly believe, then as we deal and interact with those people that sometimes can be very cynical or they can be the ones that try to undermine you. But if we can get them inspired through that servant leadership with all of those deposits that we've made and spent the time to do, man, the culture is just so good. And it's so honest that people feel have the ability to speak up. That's one of the things in where I work at the hospital is sometimes we can afford zero mistakes, right? When you're in a surgery and you're working on somebody, I can't afford somebody to make a mistake. It's not the time to be trying to find instruments or drop something or, you know, this isn't the, the opportunity, but we want to inspire them and empower them in a culture where, when they're this lowly enlisted guy that people would say, oh, he's just a lowly guy. He's our subject matter expert when it comes to this. And we empower him and he runs that team. Even though there's a captain, even though there's a surgeon, we empower this enlisted to run the team, to be in charge of that group. And we find that that creates that equality within the community and everybody speaks up. And so there's been times, you know, where an E4 has to stop an 06 with what he's about to do because... Sometimes he's doing things that we notice as a patient safety risk, but just having the culture to be able to do that doesn't start that morning, right? That is something that's built over time and a lot of time. Yeah, I can imagine. And one thing that I've thought a lot about when I was a, I think I was either a a senior ensign or a brand new lieutenant junior grade in the Coast Guard. And we had a, a meeting with all the senior enlisted and the junior officers. And we did these they call them coffee or tea with the master chief. And so our command master chief would get all the junior officers and the senior enlisted together. We would talk about how to be better leaders. And I loved it. I loved master chief Engel and what he inspired. But then I remember we were talking about how to help people promote or to progress because the Coast Guard as most military are up or out organizations, meaning that if you don't promote, you're going to be forced out of the organization. And so the question was posed after a long bit of discussion why not let them stay as a first-class petty officer? What's wrong with that? What if they're the best wrench turner we could ever have on the planet and we're trying to make them a supervisor of other people? Isn't that doing more damage to that person? And it just changed my whole thought about what are we doing to people? And sometimes, and Captain Hannah talked about this in his episode, we're not trying to make mini-me versions of ourselves. 
we have to look at what they need to become the best version of themselves. And sometimes that might be a first-class petty officer. That's the best first-class petty officer you're ever going to find. And if I force them into a different role, I'm going to hurt that. So how do you find that line of helping people push themselves beyond what they think is capable, but also being true to who they are and recognizing who they want to be and can be? You know, that's interesting because that doesn't just stop as in the enlisted rank, right? In the dental corps, we have that very same thing. If you want to be a clinician and stay chairside and work on patients and be the best clinician ever, you're going to reach a point of maximum benefit, right? There's at some point in time, your promotability when you're compared with COs and XOs and, and people that are running hospitals and you're competing for the same jobs, those people are going to win the jobs, right? But you want this person to be as true to themselves and successful within themselves and find joy in their work, right? And I have found that I was, the, as the career development board leader, it came down from having honest conversations. And so in going through and just spending the time to discuss, hey, I think that that's awesome. You need to be this clinician and you need to be the best that you can, but you have to realize that this is what is going to happen. And so I think those honest conversations in a place of safety for that person, nobody wants to have that conversation when you get passed over and you're getting a, a failing fit rep and now you're finding this out and you become very disgruntled, right? Having the person the opportunity to make a choice with the, the proper information and being educated so that they can accept the responsibility for their choice and having them be accountable to themselves for the choices that they're making, I find makes that a lot easier conversation when it, when it gets down to it. I completely agree. And I just love this conversation. One of the things I think about is how important it is to go back to continually investing in the people, taking the time to invest in people, whether it's through getting to know them, whether it's you know learning where they're at in their virtuous cycle, whether it's learning where they're at in their career and what their aspirations are, because sometimes they might have greater aspirations than they realize their current actions are leading them towards. And if you help them recognize that disconnect, you can fix something before it becomes a problem, or maybe they can aspire to be chief of the dental corps someday or, or move on. But if they recognize they have those aspirations, or if you can draw that out of them, it can help have better conversations to help them also then start pointing themselves in the right direction and take accountability for their own goals. Because too often, I think we see these visions of people around us and we think, oh, I could do that or, or I'm just as capable, but we not, might not recognize the sacrifices or the steps someone took to give up something they like doing in the moment to build towards that goal. And without those conversations, it can be easy to have our blinders on and think that we just weren't chosen because of something irrelevant to the actual choice. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. One of my professors at Gonzaga, Dr. Larry Spears, is quoted in this article by this book I just found, which I'll put in the show notes, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to use it for some of my other coursework, but it's titled Global Servant Leadership, Wisdom, Love, and Legitimate Power in the Age of Chaos. Highly recommend it. It's good stuff. But my professor from Gonzaga is quoted, Larry Spears, CEO of Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership, identified 10 characteristics of servant leadership, listening, empathy, healing, awareness, persuasion, conceptualization, foresight, stewardship, commitment to the growth of others, and building community. 
Now, there's a lot of things we could go down on that, but which of those words, which of those principles of servant leadership really resonated with you, Tom? I really like the building community because it, it's a, a bigger concept than just sometimes what we think because you can build community within your office or within your space. And you can also build community as a bigger whole within your city or within your area of location. I like the, the building community because it goes to, for me, the culture of the leadership, right? If I have the culture where we are servant leaders and we are looking to from the Whoever has the job on the bottom, whoever has the job on the top, we're all looking to serve each other and help each other progress as a group. That's naturally going to extend into the community around us. And we're going to want to, to broaden that area of influence. And so that one resonates with me a lot. Yeah, I read an article recently that talked about diversity and how oftentimes we're seeing companies that think they focus well on diversity and inclusion are failing miserably at diversity inclusion. And since they've started doing certain mandated trainings or online trainings for diversity inclusion, their actual numbers of diversity inclusion have gone down. And so one of the things that was addressed in this article was that by putting a metric of people taking a training, they thought they were pointing themselves in the right direction. And I think when we get in this description of community, we can do the same thing. We can think that we have an inviting community But if our community only accepts certain parts of our team members, then it's not actually building community. It's building a culture that we're focused on, which might not be a bad thing. That might be where your focus is. But if you want to build true community, I think it's very important that you make it a space where people can bring them whole selves into that community. And that goes back to many of the other things we're talking about. But how do you as a leader that really cares about community and building community, how do you make it a place that can build on and learn from the unique backgrounds of all the members of that community? You know, the hospital that I work at, we have a very specific opportunity to do this very thing, right? And our commanding officer has done an amazing job, Captain Davis. She has made sure that from the very beginning, she puts out an admission statement, right? And all CEOs do it when they come in. But her mission statement was more about what inspires her, like what she truly believes and what motivates her on a daily basis to want to treat the patients in the best way. Because especially during COVID, we've all heard the horror stories about being separated from family and being, you know, influenced by one person or another. And so she's really adamant about wanting to have from janitor to CEO to CO that we were all inspired and on the same page on the same sheet of music with her mission statements, right? And I think building community goes to that. When people feel your inspiration as a leader and they see you working for that inspiration and you surround yourself with people who believe what you believe, that's one of Simon Sinek's one of the things he like, you want to be with people who believe what you believe. It's just naturally going to come in and start to motivate that, those middle people, right? And once we get those middle people inspired with the same thing, it's going to give that deference to expertise and everybody's going to feel like a valued member of that team because they are pushing. It doesn't matter if you're pushing the room. It doesn't matter if you're doing the surgery. It doesn't matter if you're supplying the surgery. 
it's all for the patient. And when we take that leadership role into every aspect of leadership, whether it's on a ship or whether it's in an office or whether it's in a school, you're naturally going to build that culture where people feel included, right? doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter the race, doesn't matter the religion, orientation. We are working towards the mission, towards the inspiration that we believe in. And it's just, that's when you love going to work, right? That's when you love being around the people that you're working with. You may not agree with everything they believe, but man, you like working side by side with them, shoulder to shoulder, doing the, doing the stuff that needs to be done for that patient. You look outside of self. It's awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful stuff. I was, you were talking, I was thinking about something that Dr. Kathy Kavanaugh said in her episode, and she said that she hopes that the more people, the more ideas, the more things we're exposed to, it broadens our understanding and our thought process. And as you were speaking, I thought about that. And my challenge for everyone listening this week is to think about, really take a step back and look at the community that you're involved in, that you work. And if you're a leader that you help build and strengthen and think about, do you include the full aspect of all the members of your team? Is it a place where they can be themselves, where they can open up who they really are, what their aspirations are, what they hope to be? Is it a place where you can expose yourself to more ideas, to better ideas, to broaden that viewpoint, and then make the appropriate tweaks as necessary? All right. I wanted to share a story about Tom as as we were talking before we wrap up today. So I was getting ready to what we call a permanent change of station or PCS for the military types. And I was moving from New Orleans, Louisiana to Valdez, Alaska. Well, in route, I chipped a tooth. And it just so happened that we were going to visit the Birch Tolds because our families are very good friends and we're close. And we try to find times and opportunities to get together, even though he's an Alabama fan and I'm an LSU fan. That should be evidence in and of itself of how we can work together. That example. And I bring up the LSU in Alabama because we went to Disneyland on this trip and someone pointed out we shouldn't be walking together and we have <laughs> we great friends. And so, but we're moving on. And I, so I chipped this tooth. And so I, I'm on my way to see Tom and his family. And so I, I text him, Hey, I chipped the tooth. What, you know, is there anything we can do about it? And he rearranged his schedule because he wasn't expecting to get going to work that day because we were coming into town. So we take the day off. He comes into work. He sets up an appointment for me, even though he's not doing that type of dental work anymore. He gets me with someone. And I remember he sits me down. He says, this is who I would have work on my kids' mouths. And I just, such a vote of confidence that he put me with a dentist in his clinic that he would trust with his own kids. And, and he'd said it in front of that doctor too. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, what a vote of confidence for everyone involved. And I just thought it was absolutely remarkable. And before I get into let Tom talk, I'll mention that as we were talking there, he was telling me about his work with Camp Pendleton and the Marines and how he'd gotten to participate in some facial reconstruction surgeries and work with some wounded combat veterans and how he was explaining to me that it was the most uh, meaningful work of his career. And he really felt like that he could be a part of someone else's sacrifice. And I don't remember his exact words, but that's what I took away from it. And so I just wanted to give you, Tom, an opportunity to kind of talk about both of those things, the opportunity to help someone in their moment of sacrifice, and also how to give people a vote of confidence that inspires them to be better. That brought me back to what you said. When I look at a time in my life, that was the time in my life where I was at a decision point in my career. Was I going to, I had paid back all my time I owed for my education, and was I going to stay in the military or was I going to get out? 
obviously the money's better outside the military for, you know, orthodontists, but I was really on the fence one way or the other about which way I was going to go. Cause I loved the people I worked with. I loved the things that they were sacrificing for. And I'd love to be able to provide them services that a lot of these guys from their childhood have never been able to afford. And so we can give them things that they outright deserve for sacrificing their life and putting their life on the line. And we had Admiral Wagner come and speak with us. And somebody had asked the question, it was a young lieutenant, young lieutenants in dental, you know, you get your dental school paid for. And so then a lot of times you just, you're going to do your four years and we have about a 35% retention rate for our young lieutenants at the five year mark because they pay their time back. They don't owe any more time. They go out and they go into practice. And so one of them had asked, you know, why would I stay longer and see more patients if I'm not going to get paid anymore? Why would I spend that extra time when I'm going to make the same amount of pay, whether or not I'm here eight hours or I'm here 10 hours? And Admiral Wagner came and she just said very calmly, she just said, you know, at some point in time, you stop working for 25 cents an hour and you start working for the railroad. And that just affected me because it, it's not always about chasing profit or chasing money or chasing the dollar or chasing production, right? There's at some point in time, we have that, that cause that inspires us to do more. And so being able to give that cause and help people see that cause and inspire them to do that more, I have found some of the most rewarding times. And so just building on that with some of our junior clinicians or our junior enlisted and being able to help them build their confidence so that they can see in your actions how you treat people, that that is what you truly believe. I think that adds so much more value. On a previous thought that we were talking about earlier, I remember what I was going to talk about because a lot of times we come into people and you, and you meet them and you think they're completely unmotivated. You think that they're not really willing to sacrifice for this cause. And sometimes it is completely and utterly situational. They just lost a mother. They're, they're going through a divorce. They're not an unmotivated person. They're in a situational crisis that they need help and they may not know how to ask for it, right? And so sometimes, again, having that place of trust where we can sit down and have an honest conversation of, hey, your performance is usually this, and now it's this. Like, where, where's the disconnect? What's going on? I think that's the, the ultimate definition of servant leadership, is helping them when the chips are down and they're not doing what you know they can do and helping them get back on their feet. Because sometimes they're not giving you what you need, right? I need you to produce X and you're producing Y and that's not going to cut it, but it doesn't mean you cut that person off. It means that we spend the time to get them back on their feet so they can be that person that you know they are. Yeah, absolutely. Or if they really aren't the right fit, getting them to a place or an organization where they can be a better fit and helping them become the best version of themselves. Because I love that thought, stop working for 25 cents and start working for the railroad and it's so valuable to these discussions about servant leadership because we not only want to stop working for 25 cents and start working for the railroad, but we want to help other people stop working for 25 cents, stop working for minimum wage and start to work for their goals, their potential, and also to build our organizations to the best and brightest and all the capabilities that we hope and dream they can become. And you hope your culture is so strong and that your inspiration is so, so bright that when the wrong fit comes in, they excuse themselves because they just don't feel comfortable in the spot that you've created, right? 
if it's just not the right fit and they're not really on board that a lot of times they'll just be, you know, what, I don't think this is for me. Yeah. And what a great way to help them see early on that a better option is better for them. Well, I've really loved talking with you, Tom. I, I always love getting together with you and I'm sad that we live so far apart now, but it's been a wonderful opportunity to reconnect. Well, before we end, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with those listening today? I think the only thought I, I have is to follow the inspiration of one of the greatest leaders in you know, in history, Nick Saban, and just say, roll tide. Yeah, we're going to have to cut that out. Go Tigers. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining us, especially the LSU fans. We will accept Alabama fans, as you can see. And we love all of you that come to listen. And I truly, truly hope that you, as you listen, are thinking of others and how you can inspire them and motivate them and reach out to them. If you feel it's valuable, please share this podcast with them and invite them to listen. And if you have people that you think would be great to be on the podcast, please send me recommendations. I would love to have other recommendations. And please rate and review the podcast. And thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. Have a wonderful day.